I want to introduce you to these two people. This is Sandra Langton and this is Phil Langton. Anyhow, I will try not to cry, but I call them Mr and Mrs L. I'm the reason that my family met these guys and their family. They've got two other kids. And that's because the first day I came to church, well, I was a baby, Mrs L um, came up and, like, wanted to meet me and so introduced herself. She was new to the church, to my mum, and that's how they've met. So I've known them for, like, 41 years. And if you notice, every cup weekend, we're never here. Well, Matt sometimes tries to be here because he would prefer to be here than with me. But we go away with these guys and for other families and have been since I was about three. So every cup weekend, we've gone away with these guys. Um, and the reason I'm trying not to cry is because... Mr. L died a week ago, and we had his funeral on Thursday. But I'm not telling you that because, oh, isn't it sad? Because it's not sad for you guys, is it? But none of you guys know these people. I've put them up. I could tell you anything about them, and you would have to believe me because to them, they're nobody. Um, But to me, these guys are really, really important. And Mr. L, at his funeral, his son and daughter spoke about him. Now he was not a perfect man. There's things I know about him that tell me that he's not a perfect man or was a perfect man. But what he was known for was a man who was very present. Like when you spoke to him, he actually listened. And even though we only saw him, I would probably see him like once or twice a year now. um, And Matt probably only ever saw him at cut weekend. Matt would even say, he would remember what you spoke about the cut weekend before and ask you about it a whole year later because he cared that much about what was going on. Now, he had dementia towards the end of his life and so his memory faded. And he was a really generous man, not just with his money, even though with his money. Like, he, these guys, they would hate that I'm telling you this, but they're not here and they're not going to listen to it anyway. But they paid for my mum and dad to go overseas, yeah, which they'd never done before. And it's because of these guys that they got to do that. And he was known for being perfectionist. He liked to do everything perfectly. And he was a man of great faith. He was a man who loved God. His son told the story on Thursday, which that every Sunday they would be at church. Even when they were on holidays, they would find a church and they would go to it, apart from one day a year. And that was on Bathurst. On Bathurst, he would send uh, Mr. L, uh, Mrs. L and Turn and Rich, his two kids, to church and he would stay home to watch the whole race because you can't miss a minute of like a 12-hour, I don't know how long it goes for, but it's a really long race. But he was a man who actually loved God. And one of their favourite verses, I know because I would repeat it so much, was Romans 8.28. For I know all things work together for good for those who are called according to, your, to his purposes. And so while I've been thinking about Mr. L um, and his life and hearing about it on Thursday from, from people and just chatting and whatnot, it has made me realise the importance of what we actually leave behind, the legacy that we leave behind. And so what I want to talk about today is what do you want to actually be known for? And I think this is a good question for us to ask Individually, like what do I personally, Tanya K. Patterson, want to be known for? But also, what do we as a church want to be known for? Because the Bible makes it really, really clear that we're going to be known for something. 
If you look at Matthew seven fifteen to 20, it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really voracious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A tree produces good fruit, and a, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. So that makes it really clear to us that it's not a matter of, oh, I want to produce fruit. All of us produce fruit. It's a matter of what kind of fruit we're producing. And what we produce is what we're actually known for. In John 15, it tells us how we can produce fruit that is good. Yes, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I just have to stop there and tell you this. When I was growing up, I went to a church called Murrumbina Baptist Church. And it had like a um, stage. And the baptism hall was like behind the stage with a gate because someone once nearly fell back like a fence. But these words, apart from me, you can do nothing without the Bible verse reference. But just those words were like tiled into the back. And so I remember being like seven or eight, sitting in church and reading these words and thinking, that I can do that, like, and like wiggling my finger and like shaking my shoulders. And like I'd even put my hand up sometimes and think, apart from me, you can, oh, look at all the things I can do just by sitting here. And mum and dad don't even know I'm moving. Like, how good am I? But we realise it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with nothing of actually eternal value we can do without God. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and wither. Some branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So if we want to be good fruit, the Bible makes it really clear that remaining in him, being close to the vine, being close to Jesus, is what it takes. Galatians 5. I had to put verse 16 in because you know how I like to make sure that we all know the context of what's going on. So verse 16 tells you the content context before we jump down to 22. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And the other verses talk about what our sinful nature craves and what we used to be like without Jesus in our life. And then 22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no, no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passion and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. A good list there of the fruit that should be in our lives, the things that we should be known for. We as individuals and we as a church should be known for love. We should be known for joy. We should be known for patience, for kindness, for peace, for goodness, for faithfulness, for gentleness and for self-control. 
Now, my next slide is null and void because I was going to talk about each one of them. Do you like how I like made them go up and down for you? Um, but I don't want to do that anymore because while I was um, taking... Crystal sees her dad every second Sunday and this is her dad's day, which is fantastic being Father's Day. It worked out really well. Um, but the buses have been replaced between Dandenong and um, Berwick because of an incident in Hallam. So someone asked either the talk, the talk of the station was someone either got pushed or someone either jumped. Um, and so someone has died this morning. And when you're waiting and Crystal's getting impatient because her dad isn't there yet and he's meant to be there, so I've rang him a couple of times and he's like, oh, I'm here and I'm here and I'm like, he's coming, he's in my way. And people are grumbling because oh, there's always something. Why do we have to take this bus? I'm trying to get to where I'm going. Not once did I hear anybody say, how sad is it that this person has died? How sad is it that now someone has died? And the fact is, it's probably not sad because we don't actually know who it is. If someone in this room got a phone call while I was out being told that their cousin, that their auntie, that their uncle, that their friend had been hit by a train, all of us would be like, boy, that would hit us because we would know who it was that was being talked about. The reason it's sad that Mr. L died for me and not for you is because you didn't know him. So it made no difference to him that he's no longer here. But it makes a difference to me because, not only because he's not here, but because he actually impacted my life. When my grandma died, it didn't really impact me that much. She had Alzheimer's for many, many years. And so it impacted me when I thought about my mum losing her mum and what it would be like for me to lose my mum. But really, I mean, my relationship with my grandma wasn't that close or impactful. So really, I went to the funeral and it happened and I was, you know, and I cry when other people cry. So, you know, like I'm, but it didn't really impact me. My life went on. It made no difference at all. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we were people, if we were a church, that actually our lives mattered to those in our community? Wouldn't it be fantastic if instead of, like this week, the Catholic Church made a response to the recommendations that were given to the Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse in um, Institutional Care. And they agreed to most of them. There's only one thing that they said that they were not going to agree to, which is they thought that confession should stay private and not if someone confessed something that they didn't have to feel obliged to pass it on. But I don't want to talk about whether that is right or wrong. But what I want to say is, at this point in time, the church is not known for being a loving, joyful, patient, peaceful, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control place. If you talk to people about the church, they actually talk about it being a place that you probably can't trust. Talking about a place that's full of hypocrites, a place that's irrelevant, a place that's old-fashioned, a place that has really no point in their lives. The only way that that is going to change is if they actually meet someone personally or meet a church personally that actually goes against what they already believe. So if someone says to your friends, 
oh, Christians, they're all like old-fashioned and hypocritical. Would they go, oh, yeah, I can understand that most of them are, but my friend Tanya, oh, she's a Christian and she isn't like that. Or do they just go, yep, I agree, because there's nobody showing me any difference. Wouldn't it be fantastic if it's not just an organisation like CHIPS that's saying, hey, Catalyst, you guys are doing a great job at thinking about others, but if it was an organisation that had no Christian affiliation saying, boy, there's this church called Catalyst Church, and I don't know what's going on there, but if you want a church that's going to support you, if you want a church that's going to be loving, if you want a church that's going to be full of joy and patience and kindness and peaceful and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that's the church you want to go to. That's the church that's going to actually help you out. That's the church that actually is going to demonstrate these things. And the thing is, it actually takes time to demonstrate stuff. So I can be loving to you right now. And it may be really beneficial to you in this moment. But in 10 years' time, you're not going to say, oh, on the 2nd of September, Tanya was really loving towards me. But if I am continually loving towards you, even if you don't see me for five years, you're probably going to look back and say, oh, yep, when I think of Tanya Patterson, she was someone who loved me well. Because it actually takes consistency. It actually takes time. It actually takes doing it not just once because we're fired up and we're really excited because someone's just said something and we're like, yes, let's go do that. It's about doing it when you actually don't feel like it. That's when the fruit of the Spirit actually becomes fruit and not just a good idea. It's really easy to love when you're feeling really loved. How hard is it to love when you don't actually feel loved? It's really easy then to sit in the chair and even to sit in church and say, somebody please love me. I hope they're listening. I hope they're listening to what Tanya's saying about being loving and I hope that I'm the recipient of that love. How easy is it to do that? There's a verse in Luke that I want to read to you and I didn't put it up on the thing because I actually just want you to listen to it. It's from Luke chapter 6. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. 
Then your reward from heaven will be great and you will be acting as true children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Oh, I thank you, Jordan. The fruit of the Spirit comes out of our relationship with the Spirit. So this is not about, oh, I've got to try harder. This is about I've got to be closer to the vine so this is what comes out of me. And it says, oh, because you're actually living like the Spirit, of course you're going to produce these fruits. That's not the exact word it says, but that's the intention of the word it says. So we should not be looking at this as a list of things to do. We should be looking at this as the outflowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. And then the question is, who are we going to show these attributes to? It can be really good to love your family well. And there's lots of people, and you hear lots of Christians say, oh, I, my first priority needs to be loving my family well. The Bible says yes, but that should be easy for you. It should actually be easy for you to love your family well because they're your family. The next step is loving those even though you've got nothing in return. Loving those who cannot love you. Giving to those that you know are not going to be able to repay you back. For it not to be, oh, yep, I'll do this because it's convenient, but to do it when it's inconvenient. That's when the fruit of the Spirit actually comes into play. Now, sometimes I do realise when I say it's easy to love your family, sometimes it's not easy to love your family. Do you mean like sometimes the people that are closest to us can be the hardest to love and they can be the hardest to forgive. It's sometimes easier to forgive the stranger than it is to forgive the person who you know the best. But if you're in a family that loves you, it's easier to love. It's harder to love those who don't love you. It's harder to be patient when you go, they're not even trying. They're just being annoying and they've done it 20,000 times and they're still doing exactly the same thing. But what do you want to be known for? And to be known for these things consistently is where the real legacy remains. To be known as a church that does this consistently, not just, oh, wasn't it great a couple of years ago when we did that? thing this is not a thing this is a lifestyle this is not about doing something that we can just tick off and say oh good we've done that let's move on this is about what comes out of us and what comes out of it when we are squeezed really really tight because isn't that what fruit does you take a fruit and you squeeze it and then you know what's inside you know it's an orange juice because you can squeeze it and get orange juice and drink it. And so when we are squeezed, when things are tough, if we're not relying on the Holy Spirit, these things are not going to be what's produced. But when things are tough, when we cling to the vine, that's when the fruit remains that comes from him. And this is the fruit that comes from him. And if you have a think about it, doesn't the world, doesn't a person need these things? We live in a 
society, not just probably a street and a suburb and schools, where family violence is rampant. There are people that cannot control themselves. There are people that do not show kindness and gentleness. How amazing when someone steps into that place and says, I will show to you what hasn't been shown to you before. How fantastic. We're not just, oh, that one person I know that does that, but that whole community is known for doing that. How amazing if we can be a church that sends a legacy because we do it day in and day out, year after year, display what is already within us because the Holy Spirit is within us. It's too hard. We don't have time. It's uncomfortable. It is all those things. It's not easy and it takes time. It's so much easier to go, sorry, I'm too busy. I'm too busy building the kingdom that I have for me. Matt makes a really interesting, has, uh, you've probably heard this before because Matt says it often. He says, we're all building a kingdom. It's just a matter of whose kingdom are we building. And the reason we sit here week after week is not because we just want to pat ourselves on the back. And yes, this is a brilliant family to be a part of. But let's be a family on mission that actually impacts those that can't love us. Let's love those that can't love us, not love those that may love us someday. Let's be generous to those without going, what are we going to get back? Every year when I worked at Youth Dimension, I'd go up to Sydney for a week. We would take our first year interns and we would do um, a whole week of different things. The first day that we arrived, we would take them to King's Cross. And there's a strip of King's Cross, which I thought was like this massively big thing. It's so short, the strip, but so full of brothels and um, um, you can go see dancing girls and all this kind of stuff. And it's bright, bright even at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's like bright light. And it's so funny to see like families with like kids in prams walking down the street. It just seems weird. And there's these guys at every single door saying, come on in, come on in, come on in. Anyway, so we would land and like we would drive up to Sydney and go there Saturday night and just get them to walk around. Walk around and see in pairs, in groups to be safe. Um, just walk up and down the street. And the next day, the Sunday, we um, would stay the night in a homeless shelter at Edward Eagle Lodge, which is just around the corner from King's Cross, and we would have a church service there. And the first time that I went there, the deal was if you came to the church service, you got a ticket. And this ticket would allow you to be first in line for the meal that would come afterwards. They would give a meal every day, but on Sunday, if you came to church, you got a ticket, and that would, like, you get first in line. Um, and they would serve more people than just the ticketed people, but if they ran out, they ran out. Like, that was the way it was. They had a certain amount of food, and if it was all gone and you came up, it's all gone. So there's a benefit of being there on Sunday morning to get the ticket. And then the next time I went, the same thing happened. The following time, they gave out no tickets. And I spoke to the person who runs the place and said, oh, why aren't you giving out tickets anymore? And she said, I had a complete revelation from God this year that said to me, I give freely, you need to give freely. You need to give even if they don't come and hear from me. 
you need to give even if they will never actually come to me. So you all had good intentions by saying, yes, those who are coming to our church service are first in line because I've been here. But you're actually going against my heart to freely give without expecting in return. And so she hasn't, and I'm assuming they still do the same thing. I haven't been there for many years. But what a tangible example of what we should be doing. Because there's some of us who go, oh, I need to be friends with this person so they can come and know God. I need to be generous so that they can show, so I can then tell them about God. And yes, how do they hear unless someone tells them? And we need to be looking and wanting and praying for opportunities. But if we love so that they will come to know God, we actually need to love because God loves. And then pray and seek God that they will acknowledge that love. Not love because we actually have a hidden agenda. Does that make sense? And that's not, and as I said, I'm, I don't want to make people think that this is all about just do good and forget about the gospel. But it's do good and tell the gospel and whatever happens, happens. But don't do good for the, like, in trying to manipulate people because they know that, that you're doing that. People know when you're loving them or doing a nice thing for them to get something or when you're doing something nice. There's no return, there's no return. The Holy Spirit in us produces fruit. And so this is not about, oh, yes, let's take a list and let's tick it off and let's try and be more patient. Holy Spirit's in us. Let's give what he's given us. And let's put ourselves with people and in places where it's not comfortable, where it's not easy, where he would be. Because when Jesus walked on earth, he could have hanged out in the plush places. You knew he spoke with authority. You knew he did miracles. Like he could have used that for his advantage. He could have gone around and healed some rich man's daughter and then say, hey, rich man, how much does your daughter really mean to you? Come on. But he didn't. He hanged out with the sinners. He hanged out with the tax collectors. He hanged out with those that actually could not offer him anything because he went, I don't need anything from you. I have everything I need. Let me give you what I already have. And how fantastic to be a church that does that. Want to be a family on mission that is not about us ourselves patting ourselves on the back and saying, hey, aren't we good? It's about saying there is a world of people. And the closer we get to that world, the more we care. I didn't care about prostitutes and the prostitution industry three years ago. Like I cared a tiny bit because I am a compassionate person, so I care. But now I actually really, really care because I know people. I know names. I know faces. I know stories. I know reasons why people are in these brothels. I know why... The legalisation of brothels, which is what we have in Victoria, is probably not the best system and what I think is the best system, which I won't go into. But I actually know these things because I care. And why do I care? Because I put myself in a position to care. I didn't, like, I cared beforehand a bit, but there's nothing like knowing someone. Why 
did Dad get up time and time again and tell us about Hugo? Because he cares. Because he knows. Because he knew the person. Now, Cohen could tell us there was 15 other people, 15 other families in exactly the same position as Hugo. I'm just making up the number. But Corin works in a hospital. She would know lots of people. But the reason that Dad cared so much about Hugo is because of the personal connection he had with Hugo, which is brilliant. And how great is God in that space? We care when we actually know. We care when we actually get close. I remember long ago taking a drive with Cal and saying to her, you are so good at this social justice thing. You're so good at thinking about others. I love thinking about others, but it just seems too big to me. Seems like too much. Like, you know, there are probably 15 families in Royal Children's Hospital at the moment with a child that is really sick. Probably even more. I don't have, like, who am I to think that I have the time and the capacity to do anything for 15 families? And as I said, I'm just, let's say there's 15. And Neil McKell said to me, well, why don't you do something for what that's in front of you? Because at least you'll impact them. Instead of standing back and saying, that's 15, 15 is too many. Well, yeah, 15 may be too many for me. But when you step in and do one, instead of stepping back and saying, I can't do any because there's too many, how does it actually help? The story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, I find really interesting. And Jesus fed the 5,000 because a boy says, hmm, I've got some loaves and some fish that's meant to be for me. I'll give them to Jesus. He could have said, this is my meal. I'm going to be too hungry if I give them away. Sorry, I'm not going to because I need it for myself. Or he could have said, mm, I'm happy to give them away, but it's not going to feed anybody. It's like I might be able to feed one more person, but it's not enough, so I'll just keep it because it's not enough. But he goes, what little I have, I'll give to you, Jesus. And who knows the miracles that Jesus wants to do when we give the little that we have and step into a space where he wants to move and work. Our world is dying for people who love like God loves. Our world is dying for people who have joy that actually shows that life is worth living. How fantastic if you could come along with someone who is feeling hopeless and be able to say, hey, yes, circumstances, our circumstances might be really similar, but I actually have a hope because of the joy that God gives me, and I know how you can know that too. Boy, I don't think that would rectify depression, but I'm sure it would rectify suicide. If people go, oh, there's actually hope in this situation. Even though I still feel this way, there's still hope. To be patient, to be peaceful. I could go through all of them, but I won't. But our world needs people who can stand and say, I will show you what is within me. We have to get close to do that. And that does take time and it does take sacrifice and it does take being uncomfortable and it does do stuff that isn't easy. And it does take people that will say to you, why are you even bothering? They're not going to ever do whatever. 
They're not going to change. God loves us. And God loves them. And God loves them even if they never, ever, ever acknowledge him. How amazing is that? They don't even know that he... They may even... On Sunday, on Friday night, the youth went to like a Kingdom Come conference at Maranatha and Daniel was telling me that this person who came and spoke, her name was Nicole from Planet Shakers, was telling her testimony. And she was at a Christian school and she decided in year seven that she would be an atheist and um, that she truly believed there was no God. And she would go around trying to t- convince other people that there was no God and she would like rip up books and all this kind of stuff. That may not, like, is that, am I, that's sort of the story. But then God came and said, I've always loved you, even when you have been trying to tell other people that I don't even exist. What kind of love is that? What kind of patience is that? That God does not give up. And it can be so easy to go, oh, I'm so pleased God never gives up on me. I'm so pleased that I can know the grace of God because he is so, so gracious to me. He is, but he desires us to be his ambassadors, which means we are so, so patient with them. And we are so gracious to them, even when they don't deserve it. We can show who Jesus is, not because we have it all together, but because we know that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the fruit of the Spirit comes out of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're sitting there going, yep, Tan, I get what you're saying, but I don't know if these things is what comes out of me, it's really easy to spend more time with your Father. Because the more time that you spend with your Father... The more you understand who he is, the more you understand who you are and the more that you understand how you can give out even when there is nothing in return. And so God is saying to us today, if we will listen with the first line that I read in those verses from Luke 6. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, if you're going to listen, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love those who cannot love you in return. I want you to give your possessions even if you know they're going to wreck it. I want you to give even if you don't actually get it back. When someone asks for your jumper, see if they need your shirt as well. Go beyond what they actually are asking you for. And what a great legacy we would leave to actually be people that are great ambassadors for our Jesus Christ. What a great church it would be if people would say, oh, yeah, boy, the church has made some mistakes. But you know what? There's one church in my community that actually seems to care. There's one group of people that I know of that goes against everything else that I think about the church. And that's how God moves and that's how God works. Let me pray.